Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. Today, we have John Butler. He's the CEO of Akibia Therapeutics. And I've known John for years, and he's always innovative and creative. And, and you know, one thing I think is really important in anyone is they have a sense of humor. Because if you take yourself too seriously in this business, you will go crazy. So welcome to the show, John. Lori, thanks so much for uh, for having me on. Yes, we have had many laughs over the years, haven't we? Yes. I mean, you know, I believe that the longer you're in the healthcare community, you either go one way or the other. You either get a little demented in your sense of humor just to cope with many challenges, or you really don't say anything, and you're pretty <laughs> quiet. And so uh, not talking has never been an option for me. So I went more the demented sense of humor um, route, and I appreciate those who share in that sense of humor, and I know you're one of them. I like to talk also, so I guess we're, we're demented together. I know. It's too bad we didn't get paid by the word, huh? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Um, uh, well, anyways, uh, you know, let's jump into it because, you know, I want to know what path you took to where you are today in the kidney care community because we've, you know, we've both been long-termers in the kidney community. I took a different route than you, but hey, I want to know about it. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, well, I've been working uh, in the kidney community since 1991. Um, I was actually a sales rep at Amgen in Queens, New York, my birthplace. Um, and you know, which was which was a wonderful introduction for me. Um, as you know, Epigen in 1991. This was a very special product, and you know, it it was a very special uh, group of patients uh, oh, that I, I was able to work with. And I remember it. I was getting two units of blood every six weeks uh, for 12 years, and they said, "Oh, you can just get a shot." And you don't need blood anymore. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, there's no way. And I mean, it was it was revolutionized people uh, with kidney disease ability to have a more normal life because you had the yin and yang. Oh my god, people do. You know, I, I'm like sounding like one of those old people now. Like you don't remember how the older days we had to climb, <laughs> we had to go up the hill both ways uphill to get there. Uh, but anemia was extremely serious, and the amount of iron and the amount of um, blood that we would have to get, and not not to mention like you had to go into the hospital in short stay every six weeks. And have an IV and, you know, somebody with no accesses. It was just, it was, it was so frustrating. And you had to feel really bad before you could feel really good. So I remember and, those and you highs know getting, and getting blood transfusions makes it sometimes more difficult to get a, um, a transplant as well. Right. So, I mean, um, you know, I, avoiding that was huge. It's so true because, I mean, I had 100% antibodies. I mean, I have, and I remember, I mean, we never know what's in the blood supply. And I remember that, um, you know, HIV was very prevalent in the 80s, the time that I got blood that whole decade. And I remember, you know, them calling me, we need to take this test to see if you're HIV positive and based on your history, you know, it's a little iffy. 
And, you know, luckily I was not positive for HIV, but a lot of people did become uh, positive for HIV doing that time. And so, uh, yeah, um, I don't like to get blood if I don't have to, but I sure appreciate it when I really, really need it. I'll take it. <laughs> right. And I do think that the industry, the blood industry has done a much better job of, of protecting uh, patients today. Uh, you know, if you need to get that, yeah. but it's always better not to. Yeah, better not to. the testing is much better in everything, I, I think, in healthcare. But, you know, it goes back to we don't know what we don't know. And antibodies are uh, one of the biggest culprit of getting a blood transfusion. You don't want antibodies when you're looking for a transplant. So, so tell us a little bit about, you know, what some of the goals and what Akibia does. Right. So I joined uh, Akibia and... and you know, I, after Amgen, I spent 13 years at Genzyme, so I got to work on Renagel, Renvella, Hectorol, Fabrizyme for a small uh, group of, of patients with kidney disease who have um, fibrate disease. And so I've been deeply into, uh, uh, into the space and, and feel a personal connection um, with, with patients here. I sat on the board of the American Kidney Fund for 10 years also um, with other patients. So when I joined Akibia in 2013, it really was because there was this great opportunity to help patients and to really impact patients' lives. And, you know, it's still an important, very important product for patients, but there hasn't really been any innovation since then. And so, you know, what we had it, at Akibia was this product candidate that was based on this very new technology, hypoxia-inducible factor, which is a, a pathway in the body that recognizes changes in oxygen, uh, changes in altitude. And this, this technology won the Nobel Prize last year. So it's um, an incredibly interesting science. And the idea that we, can, we could potentially bring this product forward was, uh, for patients was, was really what motivated me to, to join Akibia. And and as we've built the company, that's what we're focusing on. You know, our, our goals, uh, we are a purpose-driven company, and our purpose is you, Lori. Our purpose is to better the life of each person, each person impacted by kidney disease. You know, we really try to take as individual approach as possible. And with Arixia, with Vatadustat, you know, we think we're well on our way, but we have much higher expectations to continue to grow and build the company. Well, you know, I think it's worth mentioning, what is anemia? Because I think many people who, who are listening may not know what that is. Right. Well, anemia is uh, when your red blood cell count uh, is low. And, you know, of course, red blood cells are what carry oxygen uh, to the body. And, you know, it has lots of impacts. But, of course, patients, and you can speak to this better than I, Laura. I mean, patients feel, feel it every day. You feel like in, a wash uh, rag. I don't know what it, I don't know exactly what a wash rag may feel like, but when I look at one <laughs> all ringed out, I'm like, you know, that's what I feel like. And it's, uh, so your, your kidneys make a hormone that help tell your bone marrow to make red blood cells. And when your kidneys don't work, you don't make enough red blood cells. So, um, Anemia becomes a part of having chronic kidney disease, and the biggest factor is is that they carry, like you said, the oxygen, and when you don't get enough oxygen, you just get much more tired, and it's harder to breathe, and I have to tell you, when I was anemic, I could not go to Denver, Colorado, because mm -hmm. that's a mile-high city, and I could not adapt 
to, um, you know, that altitude. So people have to be mindful of where they're going. And then people who in who live in Denver, I've heard that they are like in a pressure cooker so they can adapt a little better than somebody who lives in Los Angeles. Well, and that's all about the science that, that we're talking about. We've got to do that. And, and just to be clear, I mean, this is a product we're in phase three development, so it's not available yet. We still have to prove all of this. But the science is fascinating. When, when your kidneys are functioning normally, um, when you go to altitude, if I was to go on to a plane and get to, uh, to Denver, my body automatically recognizes that there is less oxygen in the air right? That, that, that I'm at altitude, there's less oxygen, just what you're referencing. And this HIF pathway, this hypoxia-inducible factor pathway, works to allow the body to adapt to that environment by telling the bone marrow to make more red blood cells in a very physiologic way. And that's what we're trying to do with Vatadustat is simply, this is, the scientists would be uh, unhappy with me, but you're basically fooling the body into thinking it's at altitude right? The body is right. responding in that normal physiologic way. Um, and um, that's what's so exciting. It's not giving you the protein uh, erythropoietin. It's making your body make that in a physiologic way. And then you make just enough. And um, we, we're excited about it. We'll see, we'll see what happens. But you, you talked about it. The impact of anemia on patients is just profound. Well, and I often believe that people in the kidney community and some of the newer doctors, they don't really recognize, and this is my opinion, it's just a generalization, but they sometimes tell the patient that they're not being dialyzed enough, which could be the case. But when somebody tells me that they're feeling tired and exhausted, I, first thing I ask them is, what is your hemoglobin? Um, and it's, it's so, you know, we've learned so much about hemoglobin and hematocrit. Now it's, you know, related to fluid overload. I mean, there's so many different things. And oftentimes I find that patients are like, what's that? And, and I'm like, I, I wonder if, you know, the education and some of the nephrologists, because they didn't witness those days of how sick patients would get, that they sometimes underestimate the impact it can have on somebody's uh, I think well-being. I think you're very right. And, I, and I, I think that it's even more of an issue before patients are on dialysis, because, you know, as your kidneys fail... You, you are, there's a point where you're not making enough erythropoietin and you are anemic, but um, many, many fewer patients who are not yet on dialysis are even treated. Okay. Um, and, you know, that's a conversation that you need to have with your, with your physician. Um, and, uh, you know, there are, there are treatments available uh, today, uh, like the ESAs. Uh, but we think that's a, a very important. It is. One of, one of the things we really hope for is that um, you know, having a product available for patients that they can take as a pill every day, um, you know, it will be it will be easy for them uh, to treat their anemia, and that's um, uh, we'd love to see every patient who needs it uh, have that anemia treated because it's it really has such an impact on patients. Well, with my working transplant, my fourth transplant, I'm my hemoglobin's about twelve, twelve point five, and you know, it's wonderful because the kidney's working well, but I. When I went in to get, uh, I had a double knee replacement in 2004 because they had a buy one, get one free special, and <laughs> I cannot pass up a sale. 
And they decided to push my hemoglobin to 14.815, just so I wouldn't need any blood when I had the surgery. I have to tell you, I felt so incredibly good. And I know that that's not a normal, you know, state that you want to push somebody's hemoglobin that, but it really emphasized how much when oxygen is moving and, you know, you're getting the right uh, amount, um, it it does like it's like you. Wow! I just went to the spa, and I well, feel it great. Never, it never seems like you don't have energy. You know, I I don't think I've ever met a person who comes across as having uh, more energy than anybody else in the room every time we're together. So <laughs> it feels like you're walking around with a hemoglobin of seventeen every day. Oh well, uh, I have to say sometimes I have too much ambition for my body. Um, oh. So, uh, but yeah, I my I you know my brain just goes on fire. I'm. I don't know. I've been labeled of having creative Tourette's, but um, you know, hey, maybe maybe all the aluminum I got in the in the seventies oh. or something like that from you know the different treatments they had back then, maybe it made some um, you know made me special. <laughs> <laughs> you are special. There's no question, Laura. You're very special. Well, um, well, tell us a little bit about um, you know. I think with all of these new innovations that are coming up. And, you know, one thing that I'm very a strong believer in is that patients have to have access to them. And it's getting more and more difficult sometimes because they're like, well, you know, we don't need anything new. And and can you talk a little bit about, you know, the innovation that you see coming down the pike in, in addition to Arixia and, and how payment Pays a, plays a part in it because maybe talk about the mechanism so patients understand. It's not like, you know, you make a drug and then it's immediately available to you. There's a big process involved to make a, a treatment available. This is such an important conversation and thanks for, for bringing it up. I mean, before even talking about access to innovation, you have to have innovation. And we have this wonderful system in the U.S. Um, where... You know, you have smaller companies like, like, uh, Akibia who, who have these great ideas, great science, and they, they develop them. But you'll only, because this is a, um, you know, a capitalist society, you invest in innovation as an investor when you see a potential for return. And you look at cancer treatment now, and there's been, uh, incredible investment, incredible innovation. And this has helped uh, people with cancer in unbelievable ways. When people look at kidney disease, you don't have as much innovation because it's been harder because of access. It's been harder to say, how, how is this going to, you know, how am I as an investor going to get a return? So, you know, one of the things I've done as CEO at Akibia is to push and push and push investors to invest more for Akibia in kidney disease. And I'm really happy, really, really pleased that there's more innovation uh, on the horizon uh, for kidney disease patients. When I was uh, president of the renal business at Genzyme, um, we just, there was so little in innovation out there that for us to invest in. And, you know, now I'm excited to see so much more of it. And now it's incumbent upon us to make sure patients have have access. I mean, you have to, once you have a product uh, approved, if it's for a dialysis patient, 
you know, you have to have it, is it part of the dialysis bundle and that, and how do you work with providers to get the drug to patients? Everyone wants to do the right thing uh, for patients. You know, I, I firmly believe that working with this community, especially with my kidney care partners hat on, but we have to do it in a way that, you know, we have financially strong providers uh, and an innovation, you know, for or the, the people who make products or services for dialysis patients. So there's a lot of work to be done. And then you have to hold companies like Akibia uh, accountable as well uh, to allowing access to patients. One of the things I'm incredibly proud of is that for Orixia, which is uh, the product that we have that is a phosphate binder uh, for dialysis patients and also treats iron deficiency anemia and non-dialysis patients, today, one in four patients who get prescribed uh, Orixia by the physician gets it for free. You know, we provide that drug uh, for free because they have issues with access. You know, we, we really try to walk the talk that if we're committed to patients, that's our purpose, we have to uh, get them the drug. So, um, you know, I think every company uh, should have that same approach to making sure patients get um, uh, get access. Well, and... You know, payment drives practice. Let's face it. I mean, it's uh, that's been a reality that I, you know, learned very early on when I got involved in the kidney community on the business side in the early 90s. And, you know, I am so, so grateful for Medicare because Medicare allowed me to get access to care when I was two years old, or actually it was a little bit later because I was 68. But it, it actually helped you know, my family and we didn't go bankrupt and, you know, we had insurance, but Medicare could be the secondary and or vice versa. It would switch around. And, you know, that was the most incredible decision that Congress made to give patients with kidney failure uh, access to the Medicare program. The downside of it and, you know, is that uh it's a bundled payment system. So they come up with all the different elements that you get for a treatment, including the staff time, and they put it in a bowl and they comes out with a price. And it's really difficult And somebody who sold products in the 90 bring in a new technology to market. It was incredibly difficult because if it didn't have reimbursement, um, you know, as good as the product was, the the company would say, well, we can't bring that in. Our our margins are so thin or they, you know, they already have all the money allocated that they've already gotten from the government. Whereas in the cancer society, it's more of insurance-based fee and they, they have a different structure to get products in. So when you go to an investor and say, oh, well, we're going to bring a new product for Medicare-only patients that are in a bundled payment system, it's hard to squeak out how they'll make make money for that innovation. And I'm so glad that CMS is really talking about how and really, really digging into that. How do we incentivize innovation? Because um, that's who we are as a healthcare uh, industry is we innovate and create better, better products and treatments. And, And I'm walking proof of just stay alive till the next miracle happens because I got my transplant in 2011 with new treatment therapies that were not available 20 years ago. So, um, because I have hundred percent antibodies. Yeah, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. You know, I heard it said, um, by someone that, that, you know, dialysis patients are special. You know, they used to be special. 
you know, back in, in, uh, was it 72 when they suddenly were eligible for Medicare and they were able to be paid, uh, you know, be able to get treated without, um, kind of going bankrupt. Uh, now they're special in a not so good way, right? This is the only place where the government is saying, you know what, we, we can't really increase how much we spend. Yes. You know, we have to keep that as a fixed amount. Uh, so just figure out how to do more with less. Right. Budget neutral. And that's not what cancer patients deal with, right? Cancer patients, they find a way to treat them with innovation. Yes. That's I have the- to say, when I, I just, to, to the point you were making, when I joined the Kibia, we weren't developing vatadustat in dialysis patients at all because they couldn't figure out in a bundled environment how to get it paid for. Right. And, you know, I came in and I said, you know, no, we have to develop this. We need to bring this to patients. We spent many hundreds of millions of dollars to get ourselves here. Still aren't really sure about how to do it. But you're right. The government is now thinking about innovation and thinking about ways, you know, pathways for payment so that um, uh, so that patients can get the best uh, innovation, the best care. And companies are incented to continue to bring those innovations forward. Well, and it is the the the, the term in any document that requires me to have some Ativan is uh, budget neutral, and budget neutral scares me so much as a patient because what that means for all of you listening, if you have okay, I'll make it simple. Let's say you have a family of five, and you get you know, so much for groceries and that's what you have to spend. And then all of a sudden three family members show up on your, uh, at your porch and they need to eat as well. And you got to provide for them, but you don't get any more money. So you now have to make it work for eight. And, and that's what's happening to the kidney community. Cause when they say budget neutral, they have several hundred thousand patients that are on dialysis. Another hundred thousand comes on. They just, um, you know, cut the pie even thinner. And it's hard as a provider or a healthcare system to operate that way of continually having to be, uh, and I'll be polite, more efficient. <laughs> and so it's just, um, it's just unfair to patients. It's right. just unfair to patients. I, There's I totally no agree. other part of medicine that says you have to be budget neutral. Right. Cancer doesn't have to be budget neutral. Treating patients with Alzheimer's disease doesn't have to be budget neutral. Cardiovascular disease doesn't have to be. Why do kidney patients whose, whose kidneys have, have failed to the point where they need dialysis, why did they have to year in and year out um, only spend the same thing when there are wonderful innovations that, that are available and more on the horizon um, that, uh, you know, and what we know is when you innovate, ultimately, if patients are healthier, they cost less to care for. So right. it's a really short-sighted way of thinking anyway. It gets me very angry. It, it makes um, me kind of tick, too. I have to tell you. I get kind of upset, too. And I also think it impacts, you know, there is a nephrologist shortage. Um, and when somebody's picking an industry to choose to pursue in healthcare, do they really want to go into a place that they're not allowed to innovate, like you mentioned the other other um, healthcare industries, and um, you know, so so it's a catch twenty two, and you know, which leads me to one more question um, that I want to discuss before we roll into the conversation about your hat as kidney care partners uh, chair. Is you know, in two thousand twenty one, people who have kidney disease and uh, have access to Medicare are going to be able to enroll in managed care, and. In my opinion, this is, you know, this, I want patients to have more choice 
because what managed care is, is they take a bigger bundle of, of amount of like, well, it takes me, you know, I'm just going to use a number. Please don't quote me on this, but we're going to give you $80,000 to take care of Tom to, to a healthcare entity, which is really, in my opinion, privatizing Medicare. But they give it to a company and they say, you take care of Tom. And if you do a really good job, you're going to, you know, you can make more money and then you can be more clever with what you do. You can increase more in preventative medicine. You can do more management services. Mm-hmm. Um, but, get more services yeah, you can get more services. But, you know, sometimes you don't always fit in that. And if you're you're you become very ill um you know i've i've had friends that managed care normally requires an authorization so you have to get an authorization to go see another doctor and nothing beats medicare for for fee for serve you know basically they write the code and you can go get your you know vascular access in managed care it's a little different you have to get it authorized which can be sometimes a delay in treatment or limit the choice of providers. And this is where patients really have to understand when they are making a choice, if they want to enroll in managed care, that the managed care companies like uh, Blue Cross or whatever, who's ever in the game, they contract with doctors and providers, and every year they change those contracts. Uh, so, you know, your continuity of care could be, um, you know, a little bit hindered because you might have to change doctors. And I think the most important thing in healthcare is, you know, you need to find a good doctor and basically marry them. I mean, that's what I've done. I've had the same doctor since the early 90s. My husband doesn't know about it, but he is my doctor is just about as important. Well, not as, but, you know, he's up there. It keeps me living. So, um, and it's, it's. It's so important to have a healthcare team that knows you. And, you know, that takes time to build that relationship. And it would be very, very traumatic if I had to switch my healthcare team right now. I don't even know where I would start. So that's where people have to really look out for and understand what they're getting into. And then make sure if you do join a managed care to make sure that, you know, your care team and even your dialysis facility is in that network. Because if you make that choice, you're going to, you know, you find out, well, you got to drive a little further to the clinic because we have a lower negotiated contract price. (laughs) And, um, and that's how it works. So I'm going to leave it there, but do you have any feedback on managed care? Because people need to look, this is, Absolutely. And I, where you started, I truly believe patient choice is the best thing, right? But as an individual patient, you need to educate and advocate, right? You need to right. educate yourself. This is the way to get the best care. Understand uh, all of the pieces. Lori, you are so helpful for patients. And this is what, you know, we as a Kibia love supporting. Uh, I mean, you guys just do such a, a wonderful job of helping to educate and helping to advocate. But um, I think each person uh, needs to feel like you're your own advocate, right? I mean, yes. what a, and, and keeping that relationship with your physician is central to your health long term. I couldn't agree more. It is. It's critical. I mean, it is, you know, I don't even think it's emphasized enough. I mean, I doctors, doctors are our advocates, period. 
And and if you don't have that relationship with your physician to truly advocate for the best care, in my opinion, it's hard to progress when you're relying on, you know, the doctor is is the head of your team with you or partnership, however you want to say it. And uh, I've witnessed it where some of my friends have had doctors that weren't that involved and just said, oh, go do this, go do that. And, you know, they don't have as great an outcome as my friends who are like, their doctors involved. They know what they, you know, who they are, what their plans are, what they're trying to accomplish, what, you know, understand it because it takes a while to build a, a relationship with a doctor. And just a tip for everybody, since I'm going off, what I do, whenever I see a new doctor, I have a page summary of my healthcare status and then all the treatments I've had. So they could get like the cliff notes of my 51 years. And I went to go see a specialist once and he said I was the only patient that ever brought that in. And he, he just was so amused by it and so incredibly impressed that I had this cliff notes of my health history written out in a story that we became like really good friends afterward, like not friends, but you know, he, <laughs> he knew who I was and he knew that I was going to be an active participant. So, um, and I, I had a serious health issue that wasn't related to kidney disease and I'm still here because of this man and his brilliance. So those relationships are very, very important. Well, let's switch over to um, Kidney Care Partners, which uh, um, I have been a founding member of since it started in 2004. And maybe you can just jump into that and tell us about Kidney Care Partners and, and your role. Yeah, so um, so I'm honored to be the, the chair of Kidney Care Partners. Um, and this is really a unique organization. Um, uh, you know, I will diverge and say, you know, your voice has been absolutely uh, critical uh, at KCP. You are the voice of the patient, and I absolutely uh, uh, appreciate that every single day. Um, but this is a very unique organization. It is an organization that's focused on um, things like payment policy in Washington, and it's composed of patients, patient organizations, drug manufacturers, dialysis providers, physicians, nurses, other healthcare professionals. Um, it is a very unique representing the entire kidney community. And, you know, it's wonderful. It can be very effective. It can also be like herding cats because uh, not everyone is looking for the same thing. But I would say that this has been an incredibly effective organization over time. Why? Because we truly do try to put uh, what's best for patients uh, at the center of, of what we do. And, you know, when I think about the, the priorities for the organization now, we've kind of been talking about some of them. Patient choice and access to innovation. Right? Patients should be able to access Medicare Advantage plans um, and be treated at the dialysis facility of their choice. Transplant drug coverage shouldn't be time-limited. Mm-hmm. Any oral drug that's approved to treat kidney disease patients should be available through Medicare Part D. Dialysis patients today are the only people who are forced to give up their private insurance after 30 months. Why is that? You know, we need to, we need to try to change that and that we need to have a real path to innovation for patients on dialysis. So, you know, we have some really important uh, things that we're working on. Um, and uh, again, you know, having you involved, Loria, just, just um, really helps us to understand what are the things that will impact patients the most. 
Well, and, you know, one thing I have to say is, you know, attending these meetings since 2004, I really know enough to be dangerous now because (laughs) it's an incredible education um, that I've had just in hearing the different perspectives and how people think and understanding policy. And then uh, I am going to give a shout out to Kathy Lester because she's the health policy consultant and she's really incredible. She's like makes a point to understand the patient's perspective. And I've had a long, lot of long conversations with her about it and, you know, how I see things and, and trying to get your point across. And I've have gotten like, why do you belong to that organization? Yada, yada. I'm like, because I want to impact patient care. And it's not very easy, but if you're not at the table, you don't have a say at all. So I would rather be at the table than not at the table and at least try and get my point across. And I remember one time I was in a meeting and I, uh, and I, I'll tell you what I brought up. I brought up the topic of, you know, acute dialysis. We need to figure out how to improve acute dialysis. And, and I talked about a situation that I had had and just heard and because it's separated, it's not really, and it was interesting. And then, you know, somebody at the table said, do you realize you're talking about us? Because it wasn't, you know, I was kind of mad. And I'm like, but isn't that the point? You know, isn't that the point? I'm supposed to be here and expressing what needs to improve. And, you know, everybody laughed. It was fun. But it was like, yeah, yeah, it's not going to always be fun and games. And and it, it's some of these conversations are very difficult. But to be an advocate, you try to remain collegial. You try to be part of the team. and But then you sometimes, it's just like running a company. you got to deliver bad news sometimes. Right. And, and well, when say, you think about how things are done in Washington, and you, know, you think things just make sense, right? And this just should happen because it makes sense. And then people start talking about you know, policies and, and you know, how it's written in this code versus that code. And I swear, I just want to run screaming from Washington exactly. back up to uh, the Boston where I live. But that's the reality you have to work in, right? So to exactly. have people like Kathy who really understand that and can advocate for you is the only way you're going to be successful. But you've got to keep banging the drum or nothing's going to happen. And you right. keep banging that drum, Lori, and, and that's what you need to keep doing as hard and as frequently as you can. Everybody needs to keep beating the drum. But I want to just say something to my peers out there is that, you know, if you're interested in advocacy, it's really important to read and learn as much as you can because the more you learn, the less you know. That's what I felt like, oh my God, I didn't even know this was a part of the system. And it, it just, it's great to be able to access a group to be able to say, can you explain this to me? Or can you tell me how this works so I can put it in context of how it impacts um, my peers and my, you know, my organization's audience so I can relay it to them? Um, I want to switch to one more thing, too, because, you know, everybody, it's it's COVID-19 has entered and rules everybody's life right now. (laughs) And so... um, what is Akibia doing? How are you adapting? What do you see the kidney community? Is it hindering our ability to advocate or is it helping because Zoom is our new world? Um, give us a little update on that. Well, well, thank God for Zoom. Um, you know, it is, has, has been something that has just um, taken over everybody's life. And, and we all know that 
people with uh, with kidney disease uh, as an underlying condition are more at risk. And, you know, that certainly has been, um, you know, something we've all had to, to deal with. I've just been amazed at, at what a great job the community has done, um, kind of rallying around uh, what we need to benefit patients. And so, you know, again, the KCP um, has really just done a great job of recognizing what are the short-term needs that patients have to continue to access care and, and access it safely? And um, I'm just, and I just, you know, a, a tear uh, comes to my eye when I hear some of the physicians and nurses uh, talking about what they've gone through. Again, I live in Massachusetts where, you know, we had uh, over the last few months, it's much better today, but, but over the last few months really dealt with the, this, um, uh, this virus in a, in a, you know, in a very negative way. And, um, I, I love hearing stories from physicians, uh, and nurses as to, you know, kind of how the community has really taken to take care of, of patients on dialysis. We, the administration is focused. They, they understand the importance of, of, of kidney disease and taking care of these patients. So I'm, I'm encouraged by that. But again, I, I think we have to keep the, the noise level up. So right. that um, uh, we don't lose that as we all get tired of dealing with COVID. Hey, it's not going away for our patients. Let's keep focused on it. Well, and, you know, I re- recall when, you know, the community became aware of COVID-19 and immediately, you know, everybody was on the phone of kidney care partners and saying, what do people need? I mean, we could organize very, very quickly. And I, I've been pretty impressed how the dialysis community has responded by, and Medicare too, by having the Medicare with no walls so they could create facilities, you know, like a patient who was going to one provider could then go to another provider because of whatever reason, if it's, you know, maybe a facility is dedicated or has more spots for COVID patients, to be able to just react so quickly. And um, it, it is, it's payment drives practice and CMS did respond with that. And uh, it's so important. And my other, the, the physical therapy community, I like to give that analogy and I hope they don't get mad at me, but my you know, I have a friend who's a physical therapist, and they're they're not organized. They can't react so quickly. They can't come to an agreement of a consensus of everybody. And so sometimes they don't get the same traction that I've seen that we've been able to get because we're organized and really is unique and is a great benefit. Ultimately, it's a great benefit to patients. And I think the one of the benefits too of what's come out is that the kidney community is really pushing home dialysis and home treatments and trying to think of ways to be able to. And, and I know that's a goal of kidney care partners. And then also, you know, access to transplant. Um, and making that all happen. So, you know, it is, it's, uh, it's not a perfect world, but you got to be at the table and express your voice. And sometimes you win, a, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. That's what I say. I'm like, um, I, I grew you up in Las lose. Vegas. You just, you just fight another day. Oh, well, you just, you just lose that hand, but you're back to win. The, <laughs> I, I was born in Las Vegas. So, you know, I know how to hang around to win the tournament. Um, so, uh, but with that, well, um, any, any final thoughts, John, before we wrap up, this has been really a fun conversation and, and, uh, it's always great ch- chatting with you because you're, 
you're excited about what you do. And I love it when people have fire in their belly about what they do. I think I'm attracted to passion in the sense of just, you know, wow, I want to make this better. And it's it's my tribe. <laughs> well, that's a two-way street, right? I mean, that, that's why we get along so well. I think we both have, you know, that same kind of deep inbred desire to uh, to make things better. Um, you know, for a patient community who deserves it. And, and we get angry when we see, um, you know, I mean, look, life isn't always fair, but let's, let's make sure we're doing everything we can uh, to help patients as much as we can. And, um, uh, you know, I've, I've been so blessed during my career to be part of delivering uh, a number of different products that have helped patients, um, you know, to live better lives, to live longer lives. And I consider myself blessed and I absolutely consider myself blessed to uh, to have uh, a friendship with you and a, a professional relationship with you. And I I uh, just really appreciate what you do for patients every single day. Um, you never never lose energy uh, to to make sure patients are getting uh, the best. So um, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Thank you for inviting me uh, today. And and I look forward to many more years of us. Uh, banging the drum together. Sounds like a plan. I look forward to it. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.